Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast of champions. We're talking about book four, chapter five. This very short chapter was all about the duel, which was somewhat anticlimactic. What did you think of it? Were you surprised at the outcome and why? Anticlimactic? Do you think so? I don't know. I thought it was it was brief. It kind of happened all at once. Um, so I guess you, in, a, in a sense it was anticlimactic, but I thought um, it was also quite exciting. Uh, what did you make of Dolokhov's ramblings about his mother and family after being shot? What did Rostov think of it? Um... Bakura's reaction to this chapter summarized in this meme oh, it's the Jeremy Clarkson meme Jeremy Clarkson saying oh no anyway um, Brian E. Denton said this chapter is the king of don't judge people because you don't know what they're going through that said I do judge Dolokhov Warren Kovofi said Dolokhov I thought was a cool character up until his return to Russia and his brazen affair with Helena don't really feel bad for him honestly I still think he's a cool character. He's a massive um, dickhead, you know? But I do think he's quite cool. Um, I wouldn't want to be friends with him, but it is fun to watch him <laughs> be an absolute bastard to his actual friends. Ripster66 says, Will Pierre finally realise his inactions have consequences and he needs to do his own thinking? I don't know, but he seems horrified by Dolokhov's wounding and he's starting to realize that by going with the flow and professing his love when he didn't really feel it, it has led to some terrible outcomes. Is this the first time Dolokhov is facing his mortality? He's been foolhardy, rambunctious, and lucky until now. That's a good description. Uh, it seems he has a family that he loves, and he weeps for the pain he'll put his mother through. Why has he been such an ass if he has such a sweet family that loves him at home? Is it just blind ambition and jealousy? For the first time, I wanted to know more about him and hope he survives. It appears there, um, there's more than meets the eye with him. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, just because he loves his family doesn't mean he's not going to go out and get up to his own shenanigans. Uh, and he's a bit of a rascal, young Dolkov. Um, I thought it was really interesting, you know, Pierre's helped Dolokhov. Well, not helped, but he's been so kind to him you know, putting him up when Dolokhov came and and has been staying with him for a few weeks. And, um, you know, he's invited him to, into his home and looked after him. And um, there was an interesting line where Pierre understood why it would be so tempting to Dolokhov to sleep with Helena and how he might have done it too if he was in Dolokhov's situation. And he said he even understood that the fact that Pierre and Dolokhov were friends. The fact that he was doing this to a friend and a friend who was being so kind to him would actually make the uh, the adultery more tantalizing in some weird, twisted way. I thought that was a really interesting. Like, why does Pierre have that much kind of insight into his enemies or his new, you know, newfound enemy uh, into his psyche? It was a really interesting observation by Pierre. Pierre does seem to sort of, even though he does go with the flow, sometimes he really uh, has a clarity about him. Um, uh, 
A lot of comments on today's one. Uh, that guy you know said, I honestly don't recall who Dolokhov is prior to his return to Russia. Would someone remind me what he did earlier in the book? I'm likely lumping him into Rostov as a character. Uh, no, he's not... Ca- he's not um, Uh, he's not. What am I saying? He's not Rostov. He is. Um, he's the guy that was drinking the um, whiskey. You know, in the, in the very early in, in book one, Pierre went to a party. It was the Kuragin's party. Was it Anatole or the other one? One of them. And when he got to that party, it was very rowdy. There was a bear there for some reason, and there was a guy sitting on a windowsill and um, drinking uh, uh, whiskey as a dare. That was Dolokhov. And right from that point, he um, he was kind of competing with Dolokhov in a weird way. He looked up to him, I think. I think he just kind of... I think to use this terminology, which I don't particularly agree with, but it does work in this case, I think Pierre definitely saw Dolokhov as kind of the alpha male and, um, and wanted to um, impress him. You know, um, <clears throat> also says that guy, you know, does anyone know of any audiobooks of War and Peace I can listen to at work? Not trying to be a dick, but I just want to hear the original work tra- translated by Maud, not the under construction Aussie translation, which is beginning to frustrate me with the pauses and corrections. Um, the Maud one I read in the original um, podcast, if you want to read, listen to the Maud one. Um, and also, um, you are a bit of a dick for saying that. <laughs> I put in so much work into that translation and this podcast and um, my little pauses and corrections that I make on the fly. I get why that would be frustrating, but also, eh, stop listening then, you know. Um, all right, with that said, let's keep reading. Uh, what are we up to? Chapter 6. This is the uh, Maud translation. Pierre had of late rarely seen his wife alone. Both in Petersburg and in Moscow, their house was always full of visitors. The night after the duel, he did not go to his bedroom, but, as he often did, remained in his father's room, that huge room in which Count Bezikov had died. He lay down on the sofa, meaning to fall asleep, and forgot all that had happened to him, but could not do so. Such a storm of feelings, thoughts, and memories suddenly arose within him that he could not fall asleep, nor even remain in one place, but he had to jump up and pace the room with rapid rapid steps. Now he seemed to see her in the early days of their marriage, with bare shoulders and a languid, passionate look on her face, and then immediately he saw beside her Dolokhov's handsome, insolent, hard and mocking face as he had seen it at the banquet, and then that same face, pale, quivering, and suffering, as it had been when he reeled and sank on the snow. What has happened, he asked himself. Have I killed her lover? Yes, killed my wife's lover? Yes, that was it. And why? How did I come to do it? Because you married her, answered an inner voice. But in what was I to blame, he asked, in marrying her without loving her, in deceiving yourself and her? And he vividly recalled the moment after supper, Prince Vasilis, when he spoke those words he had found so difficult to utter, I love you, it all comes from that, even I felt it, he thought, I felt then that it was not so, that I had no right to do it, and so it turns out. He remembered his honeymoon 
honeymoon and blushed at the recollection, particularly vivid, humiliating and shameful was the recollection of how one day soon after his marriage he came out of the bedroom into his study a little before noon in his silk dressing gown and found his head steward there, who, bowing respectfully, looked into his face and at his dressing gown and smiled slightly as if expressing respectful understanding of his employer's happiness. But how often I have felt proud of her, proud of her majestic beauty and social tact, thought he, been proud of my house in which she received all Petersburg, proud of her unapproachability and beauty, so this is what I was proud of. I then thought that I did not understand her. How often, when considering her character, I have told myself that I was to blame for not understanding her, for not understanding that constant composure and complacency and lack of all interests or desires, and the whole secret lies in the terrible truth that she is a depraved woman. Now I have spoken that terrible word to myself, all has become clear. Anatole used to come to borrow money from her and used to kiss her naked shoulders. She did not give him the money, but let herself be kissed. Wait, that's her brother. Weird. Her father in jest tried to rouse her jealousy, and she replied with a calm smile that she was not stupid, so stupid as to be jealous. Let him do what he pleases, she used to say, of me. One day I asked her if she felt any symptoms of pregnancy. She laughed contemptuously and said she was not a fool to want to have children and that she was not going to have any children by me. Then he recalled the coarseness and bluntness of her thoughts and the vulgarity of the expression that, expressions that were natural to her. Though she had been brought up in the most aristocratic circles, I am not such a fool just to try it on, allez-vous you clear out of this, she used to say, often seeing the success she had with young and old men, and women Pierre could not understand why he did not love her. Yes, I never loved her, said he to himself. I knew she was a depraved woman, he repeated, but dared not admit it to myself, and now there's Dolokhov sitting in the snow with a forced smile and perhaps dying while meeting my remorse with some forced bravado. Pierre was one of those people who, in spite of an appearance of what is called weak character, do not seek a confidant in their troubles. He digested his sufferings alone. It is all, all her fault, he said to himself. But what of that? Why did I bind myself to her? Why did I say, Je vous aime, I love you, to her? Which was a lie, and worse than a lie, I am guilty and must endure. What, a slur on my name, a misfortune of my life? Oh, that's nonsense, he thought. The slur on my name and honour, that's all apart from myself. Louis Sixteen was executed because they said he was dishonourable and a criminal, came into Pierre's head, and from their point of view they were right, as were those, two who canonised him and died a martyr bef- martyr's death for his sake. Then Robespierre was beheaded for being a despot. Who is right and who is wrong? No one, but if you are alive... Live tomorrow. Live. Tomorrow you'll die as I might have died an hour ago. And is it worth tormenting oneself when one has only a moment of life in comparison with eternity? But at the same. But at the moment, when he imagined himself calmed by such reflections, she suddenly came into his mind, as she was at the, mo- at the moments when he had most strongly expressed his insincere love for her, and he felt the blood rush to his heart and had again to get up and move about, and break and tear whatever came to his hand. 
Why did I tell her that je vous aime? He kept repeating to himself, and when he had said it for the tenth time, Molière's words, Mais que diable allait au faire dans cette galère, occurred to him and began to laugh at himself. But what the devil was he doing in that gallery? In the night he called his valet and told him to pack up to go to Petersburg. He could not imagine now how he could speak to her now. He resolved to go away next day and leave a letter informing her of his intention to part from her forever. Next morning, when the valet came into the room with his coffee, Pierre was lying asleep on the ottoman with his open book in his hand. He woke up and looked around for a while with startled expression, unable to realise where he was. The Countess told me to inquire whether Your Excellency was at home, said the valet, but, Pierre, but before Pierre could decide what answer he would send, the Countess herself in a white satin dressing gown embroidered with silver and with simply dressed hair, two immense plaits twice around her lovely head like a coronet, entered the room calmly and majestic, except that there was a wrathful wrinkle on her rather prominent marble brow. With her imperturbable calm, she did not begin to speak in front of the valet. She knew of the duel and had come to speak about it, she waited till the valet had set down the coffee things and left the room. Pierre looked at her timidly over his spectacles and like a hare surrounded by hounds who lays back her ears and continues to crouch motionless before her enemies, he tried to continue reading. But feeling this to be senseless and impossible, he again glanced timidly at her. She did not sit down but looked at him with a contemptuous smile waiting for the valet to go. Well, what's this now? "'What have you been up to now, I should like to know?' she asked sternly. "'I? What have I?' stammered Pierre. "'So it seems you're a hero, hey? Come now. What was this duel about? What is it meant to prove? What, I ask you?' Pierre turned over heavily on the ottoman and opened his mouth but could not reply. "'If you won't answer, I'll tell you,' Helena went on. "'You believe everything you're told.' "'You were told,' Helena laughed, "'that Dolokhov was my lover.' she said in French, with her coarse plainness of speech, uttering the word amant as casually as any other word, and you believed it. Well, what have you proved? What does this duel prove? That you're a fool, cuvu it's in sot. But everybody knew that. What will be the result? That I shall be the laughing stock of all Moscow, that everyone will say that you, drunk and not knowing what you were about, challenged a man you were jealous of without cause. Helena raised her voice and became more and more excited, a man who is a better man than you in every way. Hmm, hmm, growled Pierre, frowning without looking at her and not moving a muscle. And how could you believe he was my lover? Why, because I like his company. If you were clever and more agreeable, I should prefer yours. Don't speak to me, I beg you, muttered Pierre, hoarsely. Why shouldn't I speak? I can speak as I like. I tell you plainly that there are not many wives with husbands such as you who would not have taken lovers, dear months. But I have not done so, said she. Pierre wished to say something, looking at her with eyes whose strange expression she did not understand, and lay down again. He was suffering physically at that moment. There was a weight on his chest, and he could not breathe. He knew that he must do something to put an end to this suffering, but he want, but what he wanted to do was too terrible. We had better separate, he muttered in a broken voice. Separate? Very well. But only if you give me a fortune, said Helena. Separate. That's a thing to frighten me with. Pierre leaped up from the sofa and rushed, staggering towards her. 
I'll kill you, he shouted, and seizing the marble tabletop of a table with a strength he had never before felt, he made a step towards her, brandishing the slab. Helena's face became terrible. She shrieked and sprang away. His father's nature showed itself in Pierre. He felt the fascination and delight of frenzy. He flung down the slab, broke it, and sweeping down on her with outstretched hands, shouted, Get out! in such a terrible voice that the whole house heard it with horror. God knows what he would have done at that moment had Helena not fled from the room. A week later, Pierre gave his wife full power to control all his estates in Great Russia, which formed the larger part of his property, and left for Petersburg alone. All right, there we go. Another chapter down. Whoa, Pierre went psycho. <laughs> um, he went and he fully hulked out there. All right, have your say about that one over on the subreddit. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you tomorrow.